everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody, it's Nikki Nellis, live here on Foodie and the Beast in the gorgeous new studios at WFED. And I am beastless today because David is actually driving his tush up to Rochester to pick up our fourth child, Eli, who just finished his freshman year at RIT. Yay! We're so thrilled and excited. I can't wait to have him home. Uh, But you all better snuggle in to get ready for Foodie and the Beast today uh, and then get ready to get on your own tushes and out to join me at the National Harbor Wine and Food Festival. Yes, I know it's raining, but if I'm going to be there, so are you. We have amazing chef demos today. Scott Reneau is back with me. We had such an amazing day yesterday. Scott Reneau, Vic Albisu, uh, Johanna Helrigal, all of them were there cooking it up. And today it's going to be Rock. Chef Rock is going to be there. He is totally going to kill it as always. And um, Alex McCoy. So it's going to be a super fun day. There is so much wine at that festival. Somebody needs to drink it. It should be you. So I hope you'll join us. Now let's get into what's going on in the show. First of all, it's not every day that um, Bar Mini is creating their cocktails in your studio, but it happens to be happening in my studio today. So I'm so excited to have um, Jose Andres Bar Mini in studio today with, um, I'm going to try to say his name right so I don't screw it up, uh, mixologist Ismael Barreto, right? Correct. Correct. Thank you. He's the bar manager at Bar Mini, and they are nominated for the cocktail program of the year. So we're getting a taste in studio today. Of course, you can watch this all on Facebook Live. Now, World Central Kitchen, if you live in D.C., most people know what it is. Jose Andre created this charity several years ago, actually to help people in Haiti after the earthquake. But there has been a major change in the organization. And You'd have to be living under a rock not to know what Chef Jose is doing with World Central Kitchen. And I'm so excited because today we have Nate Mook in studio with us. He's not only going to tell us about what's happening at World Central Kitchen, his relationship with Jose, which is really interesting because he did a film with him, uh, but also talk about Dine and Dash, the big event that happens here in June, a must-go-to for anybody in the uh, food and wine uh, biz. Okay, and then... We have Chef Walter Stibe. Did I say it right? Stab, Stibe-ish. Okay. But he is a PBS host. If it's German, it's pronounced one way. If it's American, it's pronounced another. But he does A Taste of History. It is a PBS show, and he has put together a glorious cookbook that looks at recipes from the 18th and 19th century. So it's so very cool. And then lastly in studio today, I'm so excited because he did join me last minute because I have a uh, had a cancellation. Um, and he brought challah and donuts, and it smells like sugar in the studio. New chef at Birch and Barley, Jared Silver. So we're going to get into it in just a minute. But first, I got Mitch Berliner on the phone because I believe ramps are in season. Mitch, are you there? 
I am. Hello. Hi, Mitch. Shout out to my buddy, Scott Truno. How are you? I love Scott. He's a wonderful human being and a killer chef. He is. And also, I got to tell you that Jose Andreas uh, comes to Bethesda Central Farm Market. He's here today walking around shopping. He's here all the time. He's actually tweeting out for people to make sure they come to the farmer's market, rain or shine. But it actually is sunny in about 82 here at the market. <laughs> yeah, right. So, okay. <laughs> so we've got... We've got fresh ramps and stuff, but I'm going to turn you over to one of our rock star farmers, Rob Young, who you know because you've come and gotten his stuff. And he's got an amazing uh, selection today, and I'll tell you about how he got started. So I'm going to turn it over to Rob right now. So here's That'd be Rob. great. And don't forget to see centralfarmmarkets.com. Find all our locations. And you got it. Rob. Hey, Rob, Hi, how Rob. are you? Hi, I'm well. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you can come on. So tell us what you got at market today. Tell us about uh, Young Harvest. Well, thank you. Well, pretty standard. I love to, I'm a man with the specialty greens. And so I'll have a nice salad mix for you every week and a variety of cooking greens from Ethiopian kale to Italian chard, spinach, Eurasian greens, et cetera. But every so often we get some specialty items in. Uh, you heard about the ramp. So we went wild foraging here uh, early in the week. We're in this small window of opportunity to right. gather Right, ramp these. season lasts like uh, 20 seconds, right? Yeah, so 20 days, one or the other. Right, okay. But it's, uh, it was fun. It was fun. We have a lot of enthusiasm. I think it's people just are interested in trying new things, and it's a it's a fun. What do you recommend people do with ramps? For like, I know chefs like it's such a chefy thing to use ramps and absolutely everything and pickle them and stuff like that. But for the home cook, what would you Mm -hmm. recommend? Probably the easiest thing would be butter. You know, grind the greens up within some butter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this would be a way to uh, to store them. You would just put in the blender your butter and your ramp greens. Once they're pureed together, you put them back in the container and put in the fridge. You have them for, you know, as long as butter lasts a month. Oh, cool idea. So Um, like a ramp butter. Yep, exactly. A ramp butter. Uh, We're actually going to make this week, whatever ramps don't sell, tomorrow we're going to make pesto with Hmm. the ramp greens. And this very nice. We have some walnuts that will actually uh, toast the walnuts a little bit just to give it a nice little character there. And uh, that's a big hit. But it's uh, like I said, it's seasonal. So we'll have it for a week or two. And then we're we're on to our normal pestos of cilantro or basil or arugula or pea shoot. Excellent. So we try to keep it interesting. What, Whatever the season gives us, we make uh, we make into salad or well, pea shoot pesto uh, does sound incredibly interesting. Rob, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Which um, Central Farm Market can we find you at? Well, thank you. I'm always in Bethesda on Sundays, and you can find me at the Nova Market at the George Marshall High School also on Sunday, and on Saturday um, we're at Pike and Rose. Um, from 9 to 1.30. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. So, rain or shine, folks, head to your farmer's markets today because uh, the farmers are there and you should be too. Okay, let's get into our Grammy-nominated cocktail program of the year. Hi, Ismail. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I feel... 
I mean, every week we have somebody who's either mixing up cocktails or pouring wine or pouring beer, but it feels a little special to have Bar Mini here in studio. For those who have not had the pleasure of dining or drinking, I should say, in Bar Mini, can you tell us a little bit about the concept? Of course, yeah. So at Bar Mini, we uh, we like to celebrate uh, the classics of uh, of uh, in terms of the cocktail world. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, we apply modern techniques to our to our cocktails. Uh, so a little bit of flair by using liquid nitrogen, dry ice. Uh, so things that are normally uh, applied to 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 a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the modern techniques that we use there, uh, and the experience it's uh, it's unique. It's definitely. Uh, highlighting a lot of different products uh, and obviously uh, giving the guests a different perspective of what cocktails could be. But why? Why do that? Why chef it up? Why not just do a, an old-fashioned? Why Why do all this? Um, I feel like a lot of people are intrigued in, uh, uh, us by mixing different things and uh, giving uh, our guests a different uh way of going home and thinking about a cocktail. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's, for us, it's a little bit of... Uh, of a satisfactory feeling, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, bringing new new techniques and improving the cocktail world is it's definitely unique. Okay, um, well, you made us a beautiful cocktail right now. What'd you start us with? Of course, uh, yeah, let me explain you this. This is a uh, Jose's Margarita, so it's a classic uh, take on a well, margarita. Well, it is Cinco de Mayo. Uh, it is Cinco de Mayo, of course. So we should get a little Cinco de Mayo-y in the studio, right? <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, so the cocktail at uh, the base is tequila blanco, a little bit of agave nectar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also orange liqueur. Uh, and uh, on top, there's uh, salt air. Uh, so this was the first cocktail that our chef, Jose Andres, uh, uh, kind of decided to take on uh, cocktails. And he reinvented a classic, which is the margarita, uh, by serving it up mm-hmm. and uh, basically creating a salt air. So it's almost like a foam that tastes like a little salty. Uh, so that's the component that goes on top, and it makes uh, the cocktail uh, a little bit unique, of course. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll come back to you later in the show. I know there's more cocktails in our future. Um, and uh, we'll talk about the Ramy nomination and a little more about the experience. I didn't really realize when I was booking the show that it's like Jose Andre all day on the show. This is like Jose Andre show on the Foodie and the Beast show. And he's not even here. So I want to introduce Nate Moke who is joining us today. He uh, is with World Central Kitchen. Um, but you have a really interesting background because you were in film you did documentaries was, right yeah. so tell us a little bit about that sure yeah so uh i've i've known jose for many years um and in my career have had sort of many many iterations uh starting in the tech sector and, mm-hmm. and moving into um international work and that's mm-hmm. that's where i began working in film and uh so that took me around the world including uh, working with World Central Kitchen in the early days. So mm-hmm. when he first started in Haiti, uh, went down to, to document uh, what he was doing, the work that he was doing. Um, and uh, more recently, uh, I produced a film with HBO um, mm-hmm. called Baltimore Rising, which was about the aftermath of, of the death of Freddie Gray um, and the issues underpinning that and ended up uh, completing that film shortly before uh, Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico and and Jose and I went down. Mm-hmm. But how do you go from doing films to doing what you're doing now? You I know, mean, it seems like a, I mean, don't get me wrong, you clearly yeah. are filming and documenting very important happenings and events and giving people maybe a, a, a look at it that they wouldn't have seen before. Um, but how do you go from that career to working at World Central Kitchen? 
You know, it's it's a good question because my background isn't in food, mm-hmm. um, but my background is. But you eat. Yeah. Oh, I love to eat. <laughs> right? I love to eat. Um, but but my background is in in the startup world. So mm-hmm. is in the technology world. Um, I've started a number of software companies, and before I got into film. Um, that's what I was doing. And in many ways, World Central Kitchen, despite being around for many years, uh, we see ourselves as a startup. I mean, we're kind of, I mean, this is sort of the magic of Jose, right? Mm -hmm. That he's always trying to reinvent, always, you know, kind of shaking up the status quo. Um, and that's, and that's really kind of how we operate as an organization. That's so interesting. I feel that more, well, not I feel, more organizations are taking sort of that Silicon Valley model restaurants, food groups, things, it, all sorts of factions that you wouldn't think Silicon Valley would apply to, and yet they're applying that 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 structure, that business structure to it. Absolutely. So what's happening at World Central Kitchen now? Because your your origins were far different than what you're doing today. Yeah, you know, the organization has evolved, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's still rooted in Jose's dream uh, you know, he says, I feed the few, but I want to feed the many. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, we've learned and Jose's learned um, and and we've we've expanded the programs. But things shifted after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. Actually, I feel like it was really before that. It was um, in Texas. You're right. Yes. It was at Hugo. Harvey. 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 I yep. knew it was an age. Um he went there first, and it was a, sort of like a passion thing. He was like, I'm going. I think Vic Albisi went with him. Yep. He called a bunch of chefs, and he was, like, filming himself shopping in, like, a Walmart, <laughs> you know, wherever he was. And he was like, I'm going to feed these people. It seemed like that was the moment for him where he was like, we can do this. There. Well, I think he realized he could do it. Exactly. You know? Um. So, you all right, we have— Oh no, we don't. We're going to take a break. Okay, this is uh, this is Nikki Nellis. I am beastless, which is kind of fun for a change. Uh, I think we should say cheers though Absolutely. to this beautiful margarita. Cheers, everybody in studio, and uh, we'll be back in just a sec. Hey, and we're back on Foodie and the Beast. This is Nikki Nellis. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm beastless today, but I'm so excited. We have such a great group of people in studio. I'm currently sipping on. Um, Salt air margaritas. We're celebrating Cinco de Mayo. I have the crew from Bar Mini in making something else for me. Um, I feel very special this morning. But right now I'm talking with Nate Mook, who is uh, with World Central Kitchen. And uh, World Central Kitchen is a Jose Andre-founded organization that is really helping to feed the world um, after disasters specifically. So what happened? We have Maria. Now what? So – like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Jose went to Houston after Harvey. You know, he was he was learning. Mm-hmm. Um, he was even actually in New York after Hurricane Sandy hit. That was sort of the beginning of starting to see how um, food response is done in the mm-hmm. aftermath of disasters. But what we found when we got to Puerto Rico was this complete systematic breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, people were really on the brink of of starvation. There was no food accessible. So... Jose did what chefs do, which is he just started cooking. And mm-hmm. we went from one kitchen to 21 kitchens. We went from a couple of volunteers to 20,000 volunteers. Uh, at the peak, we were cooking about 150,000 meals a day. Um, but I'm fascinated by the volunteers, quite frankly, as a volunteer, because I came in to World Central Kitchen here during um, – uh, January when the government shut down. The Chefs for Feds initiative, yes. yes. And um, it was such an operation. I mean, 
first of all, it's really nice as a volunteer to be appreciated, which I don't, I didn't go for appreciation, but it ran like such a machine. It was like, you go here, you go here. This is what we're doing. Everybody was there for the same reason. Um, it's just so well done. It is a machine. Uh, it's fascinating. You know, one of the things that that is is incredible about chefs is they're so good at working under chaos, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like their normal state. And mm-hmm. so in these types of situations where you're producing thousands and thousands and thousands of meals, it's chaotic, it's crazy, but there is that sort of sense of like, okay, we know what we're doing, we know what we have to do. Um, and you just have an incredible team. You know, we're so fortunate at World Central Kitchen to have an amazing team that can really help oversee these operations because we because are they're massive, massive, massive. It's and, really interesting. All right. Let's talk about Dine and Dash. Perfect. Yes. Okay. So what is it? How do we get involved? Who's coming? Give me the 411. Great. So World Central Kitchen's largest fundraiser fundraiser of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right here in Washington, D.C. It's called Dine and Dash. Mm-hmm. So we're taking over. Th- what year is it? Is it like the eighth year, ninth year? Yes. Yes. I think it's One about the eighth year. Yeah. yeah. It's been going on for a while. It's been going but every on. year it totally and completely grows, right? Exactly. So mm-hmm. this year we're actually expanding to a new neighborhood. We're going to have restaurants down at the wharf. So we're going to be in three neighborhoods. We're going to be in Penn Quarter, 14th Street, and down at the wharf. So what are you advising people to do? Like Uber, just get around? We're going to have shuttles as well. Oh, cool. Um If the weather's great, hopefully mm-hmm. it is, people will be able to walk as well. Um, but we've got 36 restaurants on board this year. We have amazing special VIP experiences. We've got a pre-party and after party. We're going to have music. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's, I think it's the most fun event of the year for food and drink to go around the city. It's totally relaxed. It's a lot of fun. We're gonna, Jose is going to be there. We have a lot of guest chefs coming in from. Yeah, the VIP tickets are the way to go because then you get to hop-nop with like really exactly. big James Beard award-winning famous people, chefs. So if you're into that, that's what you should be doing. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Okay, how do people get tickets? Yeah, so the best way to do it is to go online, Mm dineanddash.info. You can also go on the World Central Kitchen website, wck.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You'll see links to uh, all the information about the event to sign up. It's June 12th. Mm-hmm. Mark uh, your calendars. Mark your calendars. And June buy your 12th. tickets because it sells out. And we're going to have some new announcements, new chefs coming on board, some cool. new new restaurants that we're going to be adding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's such a great event. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for joining us today. All right. Ismael, do you want to come back? Hi there. How are good. you? Good, good. Okay. So that salt air margarita was very refreshing and did not taste super boozy. Not Am at I right all. about that? Correct. Uh, a lot of cocktails, uh, when you go to a bar and you order an old-fashioned or Manhattan or a cocktail that is that has some citrus in it, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, actually pay attention a lot to, to the product that goes in, in, in the cocktail, of course, but also the dilution. You need a, a perfect dilution to, for, to, to chill the cocktail and to make sure that you're actually enjoying it. Sometimes when you go out and you order a cocktail, it's either too boozy because it wasn't diluted enough mm-hmm. or uh, they, uh, it wasn't chilled enough. As well, so interesting. Well, important. balance balance is super important in a cocktail. So, what is one of your rec- for the home cocktail maker? What is one of your recommendations? Because so, don't you feel like sometimes people are just putting in so much stuff that they're not really balancing it correctly? Yes. So the most important thing is ice. Um, mm-hmm. I know that uh, a lot of uh, our fridges at home are not uh, great for ice, but uh, it definitely helps if you uh, buy a small little tray to make your your own cubes, mm-hmm. uh, and those are a little solid. Uh, so because of uh, the ice being solid, when you're shaking a cocktail or when you're stirring a cocktail, is is less 
water that you're adding quickly to your cocktail. So that's how you uh, uh, end up with a, a, a good cocktail. Obviously, tasting it in the, in, uh, while you're making it uh, also works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just following that, I think uh, ice is the most important thing uh, in the cocktail world, uh, just like for cooks and chefs, uh, a fire, you know. Right. Excellent. All right. We got the one side and the other. Thank you so much. What did you quickly just tell us what you made? Because I have a guest on the phone. Of course. So what we're making right now next, it's a rum cocktail, uh, a classic uh, that it's known uh, called the daiquiri. Mm -hmm. So daiquiri calls for lime, a little bit of sugar and rum. In this case, we have aged rum. It is uh, eight-year-old rum, a little bit of honey, Mm -hmm. absinthe just to rinse the glass. uh, And uh, we're going to finish it off with a passion fruit espuma. So this is a combination of passion fruit puree, a little bit of orange juice, uh, sugar to uh, balance uh, the citrus, and uh, egg white powder. And then we charge it in a uh, siphon, in an ISI siphon, uh, to kind of make it almost like a whipped cream texture. I mean, I don't mean it, to laugh, so. but that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So. Well, how lucky are all you people in studio today? Because this is going to be some fun. All right. So I want to get on the phone with our chef. You know him from A Taste of History on PBS, and he has a new cookbook out, A Taste of History Cookbook, Chef Walter Staub. Hi, Chef. How are you? Great, great. Thank you so I'm much. I, you, were in, you were in studio a couple years, weren't you? Yeah. Yes. See, I told you, Andy. I told you he was in studio. Well, I'm so glad. Yes, I came down. I, I came to you when I was in in, in uh, Mount Vernon. Yes. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Well, I'm so thrilled yeah. to have you back on the show, and your cookbook is really glorious. But I'd love to give people a little background on your passion for uh, the meals that people ate uh, in the 17 and 1800s. Well, let me let me tell you, it's actually a very easy uh, explanation. Uh, I took over the city tavern in Philadelphia uh, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. 94, and uh, by applying for Congress to be the operator, I obviously had to do a little homework. And the more I dug into it at the early days already, the more I could not believe what I would be reading. Being that I'm a European chef, and being that I'm from the Black Forest region, mm-hmm. so much of what I read seemed very parallel to me. It seemed like, wow, how come nobody ever talks about it? But anyway, <laughs> so I got started in the restaurant, and it wasn't until about 12 years ago that somebody said, hey, you should really package it up and let the rest of the world know about it. And so 10 years ago, matter of fact, right now, we're just finishing our 10th season of A Taste of History. that should start airing in about another couple of weeks. And uh, that is amazing. Uh, so Congratulations. Really, you know, a lot of these shows don't stay on air that long. Ten years is incredible. <laughs> well, we got lucky. I would say to you that the first season, the first season really kicked us right off in the right direction, because when we were filming up uh, the only chef ever to cook in Monticello with, with the open flames and all the other stuff that is normally not allowed, we got our first Emmy. And once you got an Emmy, Right away, everything started. Now we have 13 Emmys in eight seasons. Season nine is going to be charged this year. But it's not about Emmys. It really is about, for me... No, it's not about Emmys, but it's really nice when you win them, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, but you know what it was to me? It's like when you ask, when people say, why did you have to do this book? This book was a lot of work because it's 10 years in the making. And the biggest challenge I had, honestly, is I wanted to bring recipes that I've never, ever published before. Mm -hmm. So all the other cookbooks that I got... Everything on a, on a Taste of History cookbook has never been uh, before presented. 
So there was a lot of challenge because you you must understand we got 130 shows and each show you maybe have five six recipes multiply that just to break it down to 150 that are dear to my heart. So that's that's how the book came. And also everybody always wanted the book. Everybody come to the restaurant, chef, please write a book. They don't want to watch. They don't want to watch it streaming. They don't want to watch it on the DVD. Mm-hmm. They like to have a cookbook. And that's that's the reason the book. Finally got to come together, and finally it's going to release uh, next week. Well, it's a really beautiful book, but I, I am curious. I mean, given all the shows that you've done and all the recipes that you've created or recreated over the years, how did you winnow it down? How did you figure out not only what showcased your show the best, but also what people could create at home or would want to create at home? Because while it's great to have a beautiful cookbook, I assume you want people to really use it. Correct. So what I did is, honestly, I went through it exactly for exactly what you're saying. Took out items that I know was too difficult, too difficult to get. I mean, I I, I love to have a little bit of a, an an overview of the, the different places I've traveled to. So you have some exuma concrete, easy to make at home. Mm-hmm. You have some ceviche that we made in in, in Ochuri is easy to take home. Uh, uh, so basically what I did is I omitted things that would be very costly or very difficult or almost impossible to get. Like I couldn't ask anybody to go with me to Malaysia and cook in bamboo, lemon, right, uh, right. those kind of things, you sure. know, or to South Africa. But uh, since the show travels the world, uh, I wanted to bring a little bit of the flavor into it. But I was very sensitive but I did leave a good amount of what we call, in the, I mean, I call it like esoteric items, like pickled beef tongue. But I, did, I didn't make the recipe for, for brain, but I did leave the calf's food in it. Well, I, I see so, that you also uh, have tripe in here. I mean, you do have offal right. in here. How do you feel, I mean, yeah. especially as a European chef, you know, European chefs are all about legit nose to tail, whereas, <laughs> you know, American palates... Um, don't really go, they don't skew that way. You know, people are very iffy about eating innards and Correct. tongue and ears and and you know, it's 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 sort of a badge of honor to eat that way instead of eating that way as a way of life. Well, you know, honestly, I tell you, when I make it on the show, uh, obviously I cook on bulk because we always feed all the production people and everyone. And people sometimes we have very few visitors because we have a very tight quota and it depends where we where we do the show. Uh, usually, I get people excited once they try it. It's just the the stigma. Like you know, I mm-hmm. make a uh, let's say a braised stuffed veal heart, and everybody, oh, why would I want to eat a heart? Once they finally eat it, they're actually loving it. You know, so that that's the idea. But the, the, the real thing is I was very careful to make sure that it's reachable. And also, when I rewrote the recipes and retested them, I made them very easy, understandable, and redone them a bunch of times so that people can actually do uh, recreate those recipes at home without any difficulty. Well, the recipes read beautifully. Chef, you know what? We have to take a quick break. Do you mind holding on the phone for just two minutes and I can come back to you for just a little bit? Not at all. Excellent. Thank you so much. This is Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. I have cocktails in my future. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey, it's Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We're having such a delicious time on the show today. We've got the Rammy-nominated Cocktail Program of the Year in studio, uh, Bar Mini mixing up cocktails. We're going to get to them in just a sec. But first, I want to finish talking with Chef Walter Staub, who uh, you know is the PBS host of A Taste of History. He has a gorgeous new cookbook out that really focuses on the foods from the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, and it's 
beautifully laid out and really gorgeous. Chef, thanks so much for hanging on the phone for a little bit. I want to talk to you no about um, your research for these recipes, because this is no easy task. There is a lot of history in a taste of history. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, you know, as, as I mentioned to you at the show, it's, and it's, it, it, we just uh, finished our 10th season, so over the 10 years, we learn more, we interact with a lot of PhDs, we do a lot, a lot, a lot of research. So, yes, the answer is correct. There's a lot of, but lucky for us that we are a nonprofit. Uh, we get to cut through a lot of chase. We get all the information. Uh, plus, uh, being that I'm part of the Department of the Interior, uh, I get a lot of information that other people don't get. And Mount Vernon, for instance, is my great resource, Monticello. So I've, we've got all the information, we've got all the books. And then the other thing that most people don't realize, there was very few books that really concentrated on the 18th century. Mm -hmm. So Hannah Glass is one of my, my big mentors. Her book was written in 1745. Mm -hmm. And her book was also the official guide for, for the entertaining for the upper echelon. So this is, gets used. So basically, I have the, the methodology. I don't have the actual recipe, but I have the know-how. And then basically, I recreate them, recreate them, recreate them and until I get them to my opinion, right. So this is how it works. But it is a lot of work, no question about it. Over the years, we learn a lot and we see a lot. But my, my main mission is to let people think we had so much sophistication in the 18th century America because dining was a happening, was an experience. It wasn't, you know, it was a big, big, especially people with means, you know, they, they put I, a tremendous I know, emphasis. I hear you saying that, and I know you're probably right, but I don't think people today have any sort of sense of how the better off dined, you know, 100 Correct. years ago, 200 years <laughs> ago. You know, there's sort of this thought that, no, only we know how to dine now. But, of course, no, there's lots correct. of people with money, and they dined really well. Well, you know what happened is a lot of the people already early on, even so it was a pain to travel to Europe. A lot of people had traveled to France, such as Thomas Jefferson, took his chef right along over there, brought him back, trained him. Many other people traveled uh, across and brought some of the sophistication from northern Italy, from, from, from France, a little bit of Germany, and this came all over. Plus, including some of the early settlers along that came along and brought some of their sophistication. Well, Chef, I want to thank you. But can I, can I, can, yes, of course, can I tell ahead. you one other thing that's important? Absolutely. Important. I forgot, I forgot to tell you earlier. Uh, Amazon just uh, uh, picked the book of the month of May. Guess, guess what the name of the book is? Is it called A Taste of History? Yes, it oh is. Oh, my God. Congratulations, <laughs> Chef. That's awesome. Yeah, there was a good, there was a nice surprise. Well, it's, not, it's not even out. You had one of the first interviews because you're so important to us. <laughs> Every, everybody loves your show. Can you guys you do such that, a great job. Can we, like, put job. that on Amazon? <laughs> but, of course. Excellent. Well, listen, Chef, thank you again for joining us this morning. The book is really glorious. We wish you all the luck of it. And tell people when the show is going to be back on air. Absolutely. It's right now. It's starting in a couple of weeks again. Excellent. It's just getting, it's just getting released. Excellent. All right, Chef. Thank uh, we you. Already, we already we already we are uh, in full process on season eleven. I'm gonna. I have so much more to cover, so much more to document, and so much more to tell people what it was all about. It's the whole idea. And by the way, did you enjoy all the beautiful photography in there? I did. The photography is stunning. It's a beautiful book. It's a I'm coffee, the one, It's a coffee table book. On a small scale. This is, I, I wanted to make it affordable, comfortable, but I did style all those food again. This was a lot of work, I will tell you. This book was not easy. Ten years of my life in there. 
Well, it shows. Thank you again, Chef. Thank you for joining us. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Hopefully, one of the days I come to D.C. again, come by the studio. I would love Like that. the last time. Okay, thank you, Chef. <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, Barmini, I know you're in process, but can you put your face up to the mic for just a second? He's going to the other mic. There we go. So, you know, as given all the accolades that Barmini has garnered over the years, since its opening, really, because it's attached to the mini bar, um, does being nominated for the cocktail program of the year by the Rammies, like, are you guys, yes, we want that? That's important to us? Of course. Uh, being a, a program that we always uh, kind of push the boundaries of uh, the cocktail world, we, we love to, and well, First of all, we're humbled and honored to be nominated for the this year Ramis, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and uh, it is a, a, a very special uh, kind of event where a lot of bars, great bars in our city, uh, uh, compete. And uh, it's it's great to see the city grow in terms of the cocktails. And of course, we are we're very humble. We're 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 looking uh, we're looking forward to to see what this takes us. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so very quickly, just tell us what Alex is putting together here. Of course, yeah. So this is a liquid nitrogen caipirinha. Again, another classic, a caipirinha. But here we uh, we shake it. We uh, uh, then use liquid nitrogen to change the texture of it. Liquid mm-hmm. nitrogen is around negative 320 degrees cold. Mm-hmm. So if you think that you're in D.C. and it gets cold, uh, liquid nitrogen, it's uh, pretty much... <laughs> a lot of times more colder than uh, the coldest weather here in D.C. Now, uh, the liquid nitrogen it changes the texture, so it makes it a little more creamier. It's almost like a sorbet, basically. It and, looks uh, like a sorbet. Uh, cachaça being from Brazil, it's uh, kind of uh, similar to rum, a little bit of lime sugar, and then on top, a little bit of lime zest to just give a little bit of aromatics to it. Excellent. So, All right. Well, so, thank yeah. you so much. We'll be back to you at the end of the show. That looks beautiful. All right. In next is the new chef, the recently new chef at uh, Birch and Barley. So Birch and Barley, for those of you who have been living somewhere else and not here, uh, is just about to celebrate its 10-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, it really changed the dining scene on 14th Street. It was one of the early restaurants on 14th Street. And it had this incredible program because it was a beer-focused restaurant at a time when beer, the craft beer scene, was really just starting to take over. And Greg Ankert, developed this crazy beer program uh, with over 500 beers. And then Church Key is upstairs. And more recently, uh, Jared Silver just got taken over the helm and is really recreating the menu at um, Birch and Barley, which is great. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So how about a little history? Um, Sure. What brought you? I need you a little closer to the mic, please. Thank you. Um, Tell us about... Cooking for you, passion. Where'd you get it from? Um, growing up, uh, my grandparents were in Connecticut, and we'd go visit them. And every morning, my grandmother would have some sort of fresh baked bread in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so, getting up early and being a part of that process was great with her. And um, back home, my dad was very big into cooking as well, and he cooked. Home um, is home is Bethesda, right? Sorry. You're this, born yeah. and raised, oh, right? Oh yeah, this area. Yeah. Yep. Um, so cooking with him was, um, very simple, all about just respecting the ingredient for what it was. Mm -hmm. And cooking with my grandmother was about touch and feel and making sure you put love into whatever you're doing. And so what was the point where you were like, oh, I this could be a passion, but it can also be my profession. Where was that? Was there a light bulb moment for you? Um, 
I don't think there was really a light bulb moment as much as I just always felt comfortable in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just one of my favorite places to be. Even uh, whenever we had uh, people over, um, my dad always joked that he was going to put up uh, caution tape and not let anybody into the kitchen. Um, <laughs> but I was allowed into the kitchen because I was allowed to help him. So that was that was always fun for me. Um, and my first job actually was uh, was as a dishwasher and prep cook in Northern Virginia. And it's just how it started and I just never never really left. I think a lot of people who are in the restaurant industry, whether they're a barback or a a dishwasher or a server, like I think if you it feels at home to you, you know you found your people. Like it's your yeah. place. Do you yeah, know what I absolutely. mean? So then did you do any training? Um no, I mean really just working in kitchens. Okay. Um, I didn't go to school for it. I actually went to school and got a business and fine arts degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I graduated, I came right back and went right back into the restaurant industry. Did you um, work in restaurants while you were at school? On breaks. Okay. Um, I um, didn't really. Ha- I didn't have a job while I was at school. Um, mm-hmm. I was on sports teams and and doing just regular college activities. But I never really had a job there. Were you um, um, eating caprajinas as um, sorbet? While no, you were I in was college. probably the pickiest eater. Um, I ate plain hamburgers and hot dogs, and that was about it. I didn't really start eating um, anything until I was like 20, 21 years old. So what created your palate? Um, I realized that I wanted to take restaurants more seriously mm-hmm. and that I wanted to stay in them and not um, not just kind of do it on my breaks coming home. Um, and when I realized I wanted to stay in the restaurant industry, I realized I was ridiculous and saying I don't like beets, but I'd never really eaten a beet before. So I oh my God, you just must have tried been the, like, everything. If your dad was the cook of the house, you must have been so annoying as a child. I was terrible. Okay, because I have a pick. Out of five kids, nope. I have one picky eater, and she makes me crazy. Oh, I was I was the worst. Okay. Um, my salads were plain lettuce with goldfish on top. Oh, my God. No dressing, nothing. Right? The goldfish instead of croutons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you need a crunch. Well, it's cheese. It is cheese. It's perfect. Ish. It's cheese. Yeah. It's ishy cheese. There's, there's, there's some flavor in there somewhere. Okay, right. There's salt. There's yeah. a lot of salt oh, in yeah. there. <laughs> so you wound up working at Graffiato. I did. You opened it up. Yeah. Um, I actually got lucky. So I um, I came back after graduating, and I went right back to the restaurant that I'd uh, been working at. And at this point now, I'd been working there for six, seven years. Uh, I started as a dishwasher and worked my way around the whole restaurant I graduated and was a manager there for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt it was ready to move on and to grow, and I found a Craigslist ad for Graffiato that was about to open up, and I went to an open call interview. What like talk about right place, right time? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because when Graffiato opened, despite Mike Isabella's issues today, right. unfortunately, um, you know he was a real powerhouse in the mm-hmm. city, and his restaurants were a real training ground for. A lot of chefs. I mean, yeah. if we were to do sort of like a Kevin Bacon kind of thing of yep. who worked for Mike, there's so many people. I mm-hmm. mean, Rafiti's about to open up his own place. There's yep. so many people. And now you're an executive chef at your own restaurant. I mean, at Birch and Barley. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of people who worked under him who really learned the ropes and learned yeah. them well. Yeah. I mean, it was it was great. Um, I didn't really have the experience to work in the kitchen there. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I had... Um, a good amount of front of house experience, they took me on as a server. So mm-hmm. I was actually one of the opening servers of that restaurant. Cool. And I would come in early. You don't recognize me? I was there all the time. Oh, no, I do. Okay. <laughs> you don't recognize me? I was there all the time, too. <laughs> um, so 
I would come in a couple hours before my shift and I would sit at the chef counter and I would microplane Parmesan cheese and pick herbs for them and just watch while they did what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And as time went on, they would let me back behind the line and I would get to slice onions and whatever it took for me to, you know, to gain their trust and built that experience. And when I was ready to, uh, to get in the kitchen full time and they actually put me on the schedule, uh, I stopped serving and made that transition. Wow. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. Sure. And then I am going to go like face first into the challah bread that is sitting in front of me. Uh, but we're going to be back in a couple minutes. I really want to hear about what you're doing at Birch and Barley. This is Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We are live on Facebook if you want to see all the deliciousness going on in studio. And we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, it's Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors. We really have to thank uh, the folks at Central Farm Markets, obviously. Even though it's sprinkling out there today, do not leave your farmers behind. Go to your farmers markets, support them, buy lots of goodies. Ramps are in season and they last about a minute. So go check them out. And of course, we absolutely have to thank the crew at Ivy City Smokehouse and ProFish, Tony and Joe's and Nick's. You know if you need smoked fish, where to go. It's Ivy City Smokehouse. Almost everybody in the city uses them. Do you use them, Jared? Do you serve smoked fish? I don't serve smoked fish right now. Okay. But I have used them in the past, and their smoked salmon is outstanding. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay, it's going to be really hard for me to interview while I'm shoving <laughs> hollow in my face. But So let's talk about the menu that you're sure. doing at Birch and Barley, yep. because it's a beer-focused restaurant. It is. How do you play with that? Um, so... Birch and Barley's always been known for doing new American cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle Bailey was the opening chef there, and he really put that place on the map. Um, and coming in and trying to fill uh, the shoes that were left uh, was not really an easy thing. And mm-hmm. so I knew that um, we didn't want to change the the core of what Birch and Barley and Church Key were. You know, mm-hmm. we still wanted uh, beer focus. That's never going to change. We still wanted new American, using local, using seasonal as much as we possibly can. Uh, but then we also took it in a little bit more of a Mediterranean and Middle Eastern direction, which is uh, food that I've always been very interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love using different spices and food and creating different balances of flavors and realizing that a lot of these Middle Eastern, Medi- Medi- Mediterranean flavors uh, balance really well with uh, different local and seasonal But don't you sort of feel... New American has expanded oh, what yeah. Kyle was doing. And listen, Kyle did put Church Key and Bertram Barley on the map. And you have to tip your hat to him completely for creating a totally different dining experience in mm-hmm. the city. Um, and Michael Babin and the team at NRG. Yeah. I mean, it was a group effort. Don't get me wrong. But don't you feel that in that 10 years, the way America is dining or the way D.C. is dining is different? Yeah, and yeah, what we absolutely. consider New American to be. To also be really different. I mean, there was a time when you would just go to a restaurant and be appetizers, entrees, desserts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wanted a tapas or a small place experience, right. you went to a Spanish restaurant and mm-hmm. had tapas. But now it's like all bets are off. Yeah. Everything is different. And we try to, to bring basically a little bit of everything. So if you want to come in and you want to have a bunch of different small plates, we have a section of the menu that are a little bit more small plates. You can make them an appetizer or you can get a bunch of them and share it at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have larger plates that are more like entrees. But again, we can share it at the table if you want to. So you can come in and have appetizer, entree, dessert, or you can come in and have a sharing experience. We have large format and all of our large format just come with four or five different sides. So you're basically buying your protein. So we do a, a whole grilled snapper and you have 
bitter greens that come with it. You have red tremula uh, butter that's inside of it. You have what uh, is red tremula? Oh, so red tremula is a Moroccan marinade that has a lot of cilantro, parsley. There is some smoked paprika in there, a little bit of tomato paste, cumin and coriander, and all these beautiful spices. And we fold that into the center of the fish and mm-hmm. just let that marinate the fish as it roasts in the oven. Wow. So like you open up the fish, put so, the butter in, yep, we, close it back we up. We take all the bones out of the fish, mm-hmm. um, and but we leave it whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we basically just paint the inside of the fish with this red tremula marinade. Uh, we grill it. We throw it into the oven. Uh, to finish it off, and it just comes out, and it has all of these really nice spices of the flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have those bitter greens, and we have a tomato fresco, which is kind of like a salsa roja, um, and we have a anchovy vinaigrette. So you get all of these little different sides and accompaniments um, in your large format, and then we have three tasting menus now. Uh, we have a— That sounds uh, like a lot. Yeah. Um, we had one before, and mm-hmm. clearly that wasn't enough, so we added two more. What does that mean? Um, they're all four-course tasting menus. Okay. They all have optional beer pairings, and mm-hmm. each of the beer pairings is different across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one that focuses more on the beer first. Uh, so we pick, um, like Greg will pick one of his favorite styles of beer or what's popular now or one of his favorite breweries. Or if we're doing a beer event up at Church Key, uh, we'll bring in a bunch of their beers and we'll do this. And for uh, the record, Church Key does beer events like – All the time. Every day. Yeah. Like you're always featuring mm-hmm. – you're always bringing in some – Brewer or yep. new launch. I mean, there's so many events going on. Upstairs. Oh yeah, and they have some great ones that are coming up too. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle one is a vegetarian tasting menu. I love to focus on vegetables, and we have a huge portion of our menu is going to be uh, vegetarian. And so we collected some of our favorite vegetarian dishes that we're doing, and a couple of off-menu vegetarian dishes. And so we have a four-course vegetarian tasting menu, and then we have our local and seasonal uh, tasting menu as well. We try to do local and seasonal throughout the entire menu mm-hmm. um, or local or seasonal throughout the entire menu as much as we can. Sure. And then that's um, some of our favorite things. So mm-hmm. we have Automala Farm Pork Belly as the entree for that course. They're doing great things in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feature a lot of Earth and Eats Farms in Pennsylvania as well. That's um, – it sounds like a lot. But it's but the, I assume people who are coming in in the neighborhood – because it is truly a neighborhood restaurant. Oh, yeah. Like when you go in there, you see people who are really – from the neighborhood who are eating in that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are people responding to it? What's the feedback? It seems to be going well. Okay. Um, we've gotten some great feedback. Um, obviously, we've gotten some feedback where people think that there are things that we can improve on, and, mm-hmm. and we do really enjoy that because that's the only way that we're really going to grow. I mean, every, sure. everybody comes in and says that we're perfect, then, right. you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll stay <laughs> the same. Do so right. Well. right. Um, All right. Can we talk about the challah yeah, and what you brought in today quickly? Yeah. Um, so the challah bread um, is kind of an ode to my grandmother, uh, waking up in the morning and making this with her, um, mm-hmm. never measuring anything out, just throwing a bunch of things in a bowl, and it would always come out perfectly. Um, we have sesame seeds and poppy seeds and some sea salt on top, and mm-hmm. it's just yummy. So we it start off a meal with this. Uh, we do a uh, whipped chicken schmaltz, which is just rendered chicken fat with some roasted garlic and rosemary, and that's how we start off the meal for everybody. Um, if you are vegetarian, we obviously leave no off chicken the, uh, schmaltz the for you. Chicken schmaltz. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And then what do we got going on at brunch? Quickly. Uh, so brunch, we have a Greek yogurt parfait with some granola, macerated berries, and then some uh, local honeycomb. Uh, and then it, again, kind of an ode to my grandparents. So we have uh, souf gagnot donut, which is a uh, Jewish donut that you make for uh, Hanukkah. And uh, I left out the uh, 
filling to it, and I coat it in cinnamon sugar, and we serve it with an apple cider dipping sauce. And we used to go to this little diner called the Lakeside Diner up in Connecticut and Stanford, and uh-huh. that was just every single meal was always started with a cinnamon sugar donut. Okay, amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for coming in, yeah. especially last moment. Um, Ismael, can you come back up to the mic? Excellent. Okay, wait. First, tell everybody where they can find Bertrand Barley. Uh, 14th Street, Logan Circle. Excellent. All right, great. Don't miss that, please. Okay, so we have about a minute and a half. For those who have not been into Bar Mini, because you have to know how to get into Bar Mini, can we talk about what that looks like? Of course, yeah. We have a very small sign, probably it's a two by six uh, Mm -hmm. in in a door, uh, so very discreet. Uh, we're located at 855 East Street. And you can't uh, pound on the door, because I've done it. You can't, It doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> uh, there's a little button where you can uh, press it, just like if you were uh, ringing a doorbell at a, you know, your neighbor's door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, we require reservations. Uh, there's uh, sometimes when we take walk-ins, it depends on the availability that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the website where you can uh, book a reservation is called Talk, T-O-C-K. Mm-hmm. Uh, we offer two different uh, experiences. Uh, one is uh, you can do a la carte cocktails. Uh, we have over 100 different cocktails that we can make. Uh, and um, uh, the other, it's a tasting menu. So we offer a two-hour experience where you can taste uh, about six different cocktails. They're all half size. So if you don't drink uh, a lot, you can combine all those three. And it's about mm-hmm. three cocktails. So it's not a lot. Um, I mean, you say that I've done it <laughs> twice and it's uh, a lot. I mean, it's I great. <laughs> it's fine. And there's food courses in between. But um, you're not driving after that at Correct. all. Yeah, you shouldn't right? drive. Yeah. You should not definitely, drive. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, come. So thank you again for joining us today. Actually, what's really cool is uh, with a partnership with the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, we're going to be bringing on nominees for the area cocktail program every week until the Rammies. So uh, next week we actually have no show because it's Mother's Day and it's my birthday week and I don't feel like working. But (laughs) after that, uh, we're actually going to have another Rammy mixologist in studio. Amy Riojo is coming back in. She's got a new book. And Vintage Virginia is coming to the Burbs and you do not want to miss it. So I do want to thank all my guests for joining us today. If you are looking for information that you heard here today on the show, you can follow me at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Of course, you can go to the list, areyouonit.com. That's my website. We list every single food and wine event happening in the D.C. metro area. So if you're into it, that's where you need to go. Also, if you're looking for openings or restaurants that should be opening and haven't opened yet, all that information is in there. So I want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, guests in studio. What a terrific show. And everybody have a delicious week. Thank you.